the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTB is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Paul asked the question that is on everyone's mind. Has Israel's unbelief, has their rebellion, has their disobedience canceled God's covenants and promises to them? That's the question that has to be asked. All right, Israel is unbelieving. All right, Israel is disobedient. Does that mean that God has canceled his promises to them? And the answer found in verse 1 and in verse 11 is a stirring no. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our past three classes, Pastor Steve has begun to answer the question, has God rejected Israel? Today, he will continue to deal with that question as we explore the 11th chapter of the book of Romans. As we go, we will discover that what might seem at first to be an academic question actually has a major impact on our own personal relationship with God. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. 11. Great chapter in the Word of God. Great, great chapter. Paul writes in verse 1, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way, then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it be by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? That which Israel is seeking... It has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Has God rejected his people? That's the question that the Apostle Paul asked at the beginning of chapter 11. Has God permanently and finally rejected his people, meaning the Jewish people? Are they permanently finished as the people of God and the church takes its place and Israel has no longer a plan in God's economy. Now this isn't simply an abstract theological question. Some might think it is. 
Some might think it's just a, an academic question, but it's not. It is not merely academic. It is not merely uh, abstract in theology. It does have a bearing upon our lives, whether you're Jewish or not. It really has a bearing. Ultimately, the answer to this question, of which chapter 11 is all about, the answer to this question is linked to our dedication to Christ. You say, now where would you ever come up with that? But let me say it again, then I'm going to show you. The answer to this question, if you understand this question properly in its answer, answer will make you more committed to Christ than ever before. Let me explain what I mean. In Romans chapter 9, Paul explains, and you must take, by the way, Romans 9, 10, and 11 together. They are a unit. In Romans 9, Paul explains why only a relatively few Jewish people believe the gospel. The church at Rome looked around and they saw a predominantly Gentile church and they said, what's going on? We understand that the Old Testament scriptures speak of God's plan for Israel. But it speaks of the blessings of salvation. But the Messiah has come and, and very few of them, in comparison to the nation, have accepted the Messiah. So in Romans chapter 9, Paul answers that, uh, that objection in the minds of his readers. And he says that, there are some Jewish people who believe, just a few, and the reason is because God is sovereign in electing them. And we took our time to go through Romans 9 so you would understand that. Why are some saved? Because God has sovereignly intervened in their lives and he saved them. It's a doctrine of election. That's why there is a remnant. That's why there are a few Jewish people who believe. If God didn't elect some, then none would believe. But Romans chapter 10 deals with uh, another issue in connection with that. In Romans chapter 10, Paul explains why most Jewish people don't believe. Is it because of election? No, it's because of their hardened unbelief. People who don't come to Christ can never fall back and say, well, I wasn't elected. No, Paul puts the responsibility right upon them, and he said it is your unbelief. For instance, in chapter 10, verse 3, he says, uh, for knowing, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. They knew the truth. They willfully said, we don't know the truth. They willfully hardened their hearts to the truth, but they had the truth in the scriptures. And they were zealous for God, but they were going about to establish their own righteousness by their zeal. And they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, which is revealed in the word of God, which they had. Chapter 10, verse 16. Paul says, however, they did not all heed the glad tidings they heard. First century Israel heard, for Isaiah has prophesied, Lord, who has believed our report? I mean, the report went out, but who believed it? Just a remnant, just a few. But most said no, and Paul says it is their fault. It is their rejection. Verse 21, the chapter closes with this astounding statement of God's mercy. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. In other words, even though national Israel, Israel as a nation, has rejected their Messiah, God says, my hands are open. I've not rejected them. My hands are open to this disobedient and obstinate and stiff-necked and rebellious people. So as you put Chapter 9 and 10 together, you see that chapter 9 says why some are saved, divine sovereignty. Chapter 10, why most are lost, human responsibility. And don't try to explain how they both work together, but they do. 
And we've spent many times saying that we will not try to figure it out. We just take the scriptures as they're presented to us. But as chapter 10 closes, I want you to understand that there is a strong statement about Israel's unbelief. They are stiff-necked. They are disobedient. They are obstinate. They are a rebellious people. Now, as chapter 11 opens up, Paul asks the question that is on everyone's mind. Has Israel's unbelief, has their rebellion, has their disobedience canceled God's covenants and promises to them? That's the question that has to be asked. All right, Israel is unbelieving. All right, Israel is disobedient. Does that mean that God has, has abrogated, which means he has canceled his promises to them? And the answer found in verse 1 and in verse 11 is a stirring no. Some versions translated God forbid. That is not how it literally should be translated. It means may it never be. But the translators knew that it was in such strong language that they had to put it in the strongest way they could, and so they translated it, God forbid. It means don't even think such a thought. But that is exactly, as I said last week, what most of Christendom thinks, that the church has replaced Israel, and God has no longer a plan for his unique people. Perish the thought. Now, what does that say to us? Not only does it say to us, that God keeps his word and is a righteous God and is faithful to his promises, which is really the heart of Romans 9, 10, and 11, because that is the heart of Romans. You cannot understand the book of Romans unless you understand that, that the righteousness of God is being presented, and that's why Paul deals with this. He's explained the gospel in chapters 1 through 8. He can't go on to chapter 12 telling them how to live out righteousness unless he deals with the question that's on the hearts of the readers, what about Israel? Has God been righteous to them? Because if he's not righteous to them, then how can we say he's going to be righteous to us? So the integrity of God is at stake. But I think there's another issue here, and it is the mercy of God. Not only the righteousness of God, but the mercy of God. These are the people who have rejected the prophets. They have refused to obey the law of God. They have crucified the Messiah, not alone. Rome was in it. Gentiles were in it but they also were in it. And yet God has not permanently rejected them. Now, that speaks of mercy, incredible mercy. And you see, when Paul gets through with chapters 9, 10, and 11, actually at the end of 11, he breaks forth into praise. He says in verse 33, All oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how oh, unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. And he goes on into a wonderful doxology of praise, and he closes by saying to him, be the glory forever, amen, but he doesn't stop there. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual, literally, it is your spiritual service of worship. You see, when you understand how merciful God has been to humanity in general, Romans chapters 1 through 8, he has been merciful to take man from a lump of, of clay and sinful humanity and not only have given him righteousness, but given him security in Christ and taken him from, from a sinner to the glory of God and a future inheritance and a future glory in heaven. When you understand that, and you understand how, how God has been merciful to rebellious Israel in particular and lost humanity in general, then it ought to cause you to fall on your faces before him in humble worship. And that's what Paul is saying. You see, if you don't understand Romans 9, 10, 11, it, the, the impact 
of God's mercy will never affect you. Paul says, based on the mercy of God, what you ought to do when you understand it is fall on your face and say, Lord, I am a living sacrifice. I am on the altar. I am available. I am dedicated. Use me, and it's my worship to you. What else could I do? Not only will you praise him with your lips, but your bodies will be on the altar ready to be dedicated for God's use. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all about. Very important. Very important for, under, for us to understand this chapter. If you don't understand that the mercy of God will not have an impact upon you like it should, and if it doesn't have an impact upon you like it should, then you'll, you'll miss the great truth of Romans 12, 1. Based on the mercies of God, humanity to Israel. Now, you already know the question and the answer of chapter 11. Has God cast away Israel? Question. Answer. No, never. But it is obvious that God has set Israel aside. I don't think you need to be a genius to understand that in our day and age, the church is made up predominantly of Gentiles. I don't think you need to be exceptionally bright to figure that one out. God has, in some sense, set Israel to the side. In the church age, Israel has been set aside. The the church made up of both Jews, relatively few Jews, predominantly Gentiles, they are experiencing the blessing of salvation. The Jewish people worldwide are not. So God has set Israel aside for the time. Now to prove that God isn't through with the Jewish people permanently, Paul gives us three truths about Israel being set aside. Now I didn't kind of survey the chapter last week. But I am this week, and I think you should write this down. If you want a handle, as far as an outline, a handle on this chapter, I think this, this will help you. To prove that God isn't permanently through with the Jewish people, but has just set them aside temporarily, Paul gives us three truths. Number one, this setting aside, or casting away, and if you want to put it in those terms, but he does not mean a permanent one, is not full. That is, there's a remnant. It's not complete. All Jews haven't been set aside. It is not full. Secondly, it is not futile. It means there's a purpose behind it. God isn't just doing this on a whim. There is a purpose. There is a plan. There is a reason. And thirdly, it is not final. Someday there will be a restoration. Paul says in verse 26, and then all Israel will be saved. Someday. It's not final. It's not full. It's not futile. It's not final. Now, last week we began to see that Israel setting aside is not full. There is always, in every age, some Jews who believe. And that's how Paul explains it. He says in verse 1, Has he cast away his people? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. We said last week that is the conversion of Paul. He was the greatest opponent of the gospel before his conversion, right? I mean, he says in, in 1 Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. Paul's not exaggerating. He was the greatest sinner. He was a sadistic mass murderer who wanted to wipe out the church, not just a local church, all of God's people, Christians, the church. He was the greatest Christ rejecter, but he became a believer. And Paul's point is this. If God has totally rejected Israel, then what am I doing here? If God has rejected his people because they rejected him, then what is the greatest Christ rejecter doing here being saved and being part of the church? That's the point. Secondly, we said not only the conversion of Paul, but the chosen remnant. The chosen remnant proves that Israel setting aside is not full, 
There's always a remnant. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets, they have torn down thine altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what does God say to him? What's the divine response? Look, Elijah, you don't understand this. I'm paraphrasing. I've kept for myself 7,000 men who haven't fallen prey to the worship of of Baal. And and by the way, this is all review. Even, Even in one of Israel's worst times of unbelief and apostasy, God had a remnant, always a remnant. Sometimes it's 7,000, sometimes it may be 2,000, sometimes it may be 200, sometimes it may be 50,000. That's not the point. There is always a remnant, a small handful of people who remain true to the Lord. The world looks at them and says they are leftovers, they are nothing, just like we look at a piece of cloth and say, it is a remnant, it is cheap, it is nothing, it is unimportant. That's how the world looks at the remnant. But God looks at them and says they are true. They have been faithful. And Paul's point is in verse 5, and we sort of left off here last week. In the same way, there has also come to be, at the present time, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. In every age, there are Jewish believers. That's what he's speaking about now. About now. Not many, but some. When I accepted Christ, I thought I was the only Jewish person in the world who had ever done this. I really did. And you would, you would think that those around me would have shown me otherwise. But those around me did little to show me otherwise. Most Christians I met put me on a pedestal. They treated me as if I was exhibit A at the zoo. Oh, a Jewish believer. And they would say things to me like, like this, isn't it wonderful to be Jewish and a Christian? I was just trying to figure out what I had gotten into. What was going on here? And they're asking me these questions. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. You know, I'd say things like that. Yeah, I guess it's all right. I never thought about it. They should have known better. I know they meant well, but they should have known better that the Bible says that there is always a remnant. I I was not the only one. Jewish people coming to Christ today is not a new phenomenon. I think perhaps there are more Jews coming to Christ today than at other times as God is getting us ready for the end times and the tribulation and then all Israel will be saved but there's always been a remnant in Elijah's day there was 7,000 men and then one discouraged prophet in Paul's day there was a Jewish church at Jerusalem and down through the centuries there have been Hebrew Christians who have left their mark on the church a man by the name of Nicholas of Lyra you probably never heard of, of him but I'll tell you who did hear of him Martin Luther heard of him, and John Wycliffe heard of him because Nicholas of Lyra, Hebrew Christian scholar in the 14th century, wrote a commentary on the book of Romans. It so influenced Luther and also Wycliffe that they had a handle now on the doctrine of justification by faith. It set off the Reformation. There are some scholars who believe that the influence of this Hebrew Christian had such an impact on Luther, and then later Wycliffe, that the Reformation might not have occurred from a human standpoint, we understand, if he had not had this influence upon them. There are others you ought to know about. The man who founded the Salvation Army, 
General Booth, I just read the other week that he was born of Hebrew stock. Now, I don't know what that means, his parents, his grandparents, or whatever, but man who founded the Salvation Army. Some of you received uh, the magazine Israel My Glory this last week or two. In it was an excellent article by Will Varner on Are the Ten Tribes Lost? There are groups who believe that the Ten Tribes are lost. They believe that England and America are, are part of the, uh, the Israel, and it's called British Israelism. It is false. It is not true. Will Varner wrote to refute that. And you know what he took up most of his article, or a good part of his article with? Quoting the concepts, or at least mentioning the concepts that have written down by David Barron. David Barron was a great student to the Word of God, and he was a Hebrew Christian scholar who wrote on the Ten Tribes of Israel and said they are not lost, and he refuted that that argument that they are lost. There's nothing been written in, in about a hundred years that's better than what David Barron wrote years ago. Then there is Felix Mendelssohn, musician and composer. Benjamin Disraeli, former prime minister of, of England, both Hebrew Christians. Alfred Edersheim's book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, are a classic. Most of us are familiar with John MacArthur, but did you know that the man who has influenced John MacArthur perhaps more than anyone outside of his father was dear Dr. Charles Feinberg of Talbot Seminary, great Hebrew Christian. So there has always been a remnant of Jewish believers, and this remnant, this elect remnant, Paul says, is saved by grace. Look at verse 6. And I think Paul just had to put this in here. Just, it's not totally germane to the argument. He just took every opportunity to explain the grace of God. But if it is by grace, because he mentioned it's according to God's grace's choice in verse 5, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You see, that's the reason they're the remnant, because they obviously see that the only way they can come to the Lord is through faith, by grace, not works. The reason the others are not the remnants is because they're trying to work their way to heaven. The reason that Israel is in unbelief is that they refuse to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. That's what we just looked at in Romans 10, 1 through 3. They know the truth, but they refuse it. In fact, they stumble over Christ. You know why they stumble over him? They were so proud of their own efforts that when God pointed to Christ as a lowly stone and the way of salvation, they rejected him. Because he was rejected by men, but approved by God, they said no. They turned away because they didn't think they needed a savior. They thought they needed a political deliverer. They didn't think they needed a savior from sin because they didn't see themselves as sinful because they saw themselves as doing enough good things to get God's approval. And that's why they stumbled over him. They turned away because they never saw how sinful they really were. As fallen human beings, we have an amazing ability to reorder our perceptions so that we can maintain the conviction that we are right. We go through incredible mental contortions as we reject the messages that demonstrate that we are wrong, that we are sinners, and that we need help. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. It's a daily Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of Pastor Steve's practical messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by our listeners. 
If you would like to learn more about Verse by Verse or how you can help support us, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you missed part of today's class or want to go back and pick up a previous lesson, they're all available right there on the website. Once again, that's versebyverseradio.org. To order a CD or a cassette with this entire three-part message, call us at 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, please leave your name and a number that we can use to call you back during regular business hours. Every once in a while, we come across a statement in the Bible that doesn't seem to fit with God's character. One example is when the Bible says that God hardened someone's heart. Paul said that God hardened the hearts of those Jews who did not believe. How does that fit with God's merciful character? How does it fit with human responsibility? Now, many people say that that hardening meant that God has permanently rejected Israel. We will consider that next time on Verse by Verse, and we will see that the hardening of hearts by God has a great deal to do with the fact that Israel is not permanently set aside. I hope you can join us. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.